and welcome back to another episode of On Death and Dancing, the podcast that explores the profound connection between mental health, loss, discovery, and of course, exotic dancing. It's been a while, you guys. I have a lot to catch you up on. Today's episode, we will dive into a bit of what I've been up to, but I also wanted to give some educational context on the title of this podcast and how I chose it. But first, let's start with how I've been. So as some of you know, or if you follow me on social media or you know me in person, you know that I was in Montreal a couple weeks ago. I was actually in Montreal for work, so I was stripping there. And let me tell you, Montreal is a different ball game. I want to have my best friend. She's also a dancer, a stripper. I want to have her on the podcast for that episode because we have some crazy stories. Montreal was so much fun, but so different, very different from anything I've experienced stripping in Calgary. Let me just tell you that. It was fun. It was crazy. It was wild. Um, I did like lesbian shows for the first time. I'll leave that up to your imagination how you want um, to perceive that. I worked at two different clubs. I had a favorite out of the two. I met some crazy French men. I didn't learn any French, which was sad. I'm actually terrible at languages, but It was wild. It was crazy. It was fun. I'm so happy to be back, though. Honestly, I just feel like Calgary is home to me at times. I got back and I was a little bit depressed. Like, I I missed dancing there. But now that I'm in the flow of dancing in Calgary again, I definitely appreciate it. There's really no tipping culture in Montreal. So as a dancer there, it was kind of weird. Tipping is pretty big in Calgary. That's how I make a lot of my money in a night is honestly from tips. And so not having that in Montreal was weird. And the dances are also so much cheaper in Montreal, at least for the customer. Um, So I guess in a way I'm able to sell more and make more that way. But I'm just I'm just used to the flow of things in Calgary. I'm used to that. I'm happy to be here. My friends are here, you know, being the only and like, here's the thing I was working at a club, my best friend and then the other girl we were traveling with ended up working at a different club than me. So I was working alone at like a new club with new girls, um, girls who didn't even speak English. Like some spoke French, some spoke only French, some spoke Spanish. Like there were girls who from all over, Mediterranean girls, uh, European girls, Caucasian girls, honestly, just a huge mix. I think at one point in the night, there were like 40 girls working where in Calgary, I went on a busy night, we might have like 18 so definitely different. There are a lot more people in Montreal, but I I had to learn a lot about myself and my own hustle being alone in a club. The first couple nights that we were in Montreal, I actually worked with my best friend at one club and that's when we ended up doing the lesbian shows. So <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, she'll, she'll be on the podcast to talk about that hopefully. But um, then when I went to the club that I ended up working at solo, you know, on all on my lonesome. I didn't really have anyone to talk to. I kind of made friends with the DJ and the bouncer and things like that because the girls were terrifying. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I don't know if they they like traveling dancers. It's kind of the same vibe here. You know, it's just like, yeah, you do your own thing. But I'm a very friendly girl. I'm a very friendly person. I talk to a lot of people. I just can't keep my mouth shut. So yeah, it was it was odd. It was weird not having like that partner in crime to work with. But you know, we did it. We did it. And I'm proud of myself. I'm proud for getting out there and pushing past um, the uncomfortable situations and, and making my money, getting my bag, and now being back into the flow of Calgary and back into my life. Yeah. Other than that, been working a lot, been taking care of my dog 
a lot. Gosh, been working out. I don't know. You know, getting back from Montreal, I was like, now I got to find my routine again. So we're slowly getting back into that. I'm actually just going on another vacation in two weeks. No, in a week? Gosh, a, a week. My goodness. Time is flying, but I'm going to Florida. I'm going to Orlando, not for a work vacation, okay? I'm not working, obviously can't work in the States, but I am going to Disney World and Universal, so I, I'm excited. There will be a podcast, hopefully, because I'm going to try and record a few, but um, yeah, I got a vacation coming up. I'm stoked. Life is pretty good. Can't complain. But... Now that that is all out of the way, I want to move on to some educational components, okay? So let's talk about On Death and Dancing. How did that title come to be? Well, if you've ever been to grief therapy, you're probably accustomed to the book On Death and Dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I hope I'm saying her name right. She was a Swiss-American psychiatrist. Um... Her book On Death and Dying was actually published in 1969, and this was groundbreaking research at the time. It explored the five stages of grief, which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. This book became a seminal work in the field of psychology. It literally changed the way we think about death and how we approach it, and it was one of the most important psychological studies of the late 20th century. Having experienced the sudden and tragic loss of both of my parents, I can personally attest that the time following a loved one's death is super confusing. It's overwhelming. You're often acting desperate and impulsive. And during such harrowing times, narratives like the five stages of grief that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote about can bring immense direction and comfort to your life. Emotions like anger or even acceptance Um, can feel inappropriate and having an outside force like that writing model and that book can affirm and validate your experiences and really help you cope with your feelings. So to put it another way, we're basically pattern-seeking individuals and humans are pattern-seeking. We try and make sense of things that are chaotic and unpredictable through patterns and the narrative of the Kubler-Ross model reminds us that whatever we're feeling now isn't permanent. So The book is there to guide us through difficult times, assure us that eventually we'll reach acceptance and be okay. Assuming that your experience lines up well with the five stages, you're basically given a sense that you're managing your grief in in the right way, that you're doing well. But that's also exactly the problem. Not everyone experiences grief in the same way. And in addition to dealing with the loss of your loved one, those who experience grief don't always follow the model the same way that it's written. They have to contend with the idea that there isn't a right way to grieve. And if you're not following it, are you doing something wrong? You're not. You're not. The five stages model, to me, is meant as a descriptive tool, but it's become prescriptive. Grief therapists, my own grief therapist, will say, yep, here you go. You know, these are the steps. You'll get through them. And then then what? You know, Bereaved individuals can feel like there are certain reactions that they should be having and that by not having them, you're grieving the wrong way. But there's no set of patterns or set of emotions that you have to experience to come to terms with death. And if we compare ourselves to, you know, this book and to these stages and we're not following them exactly, you know, that's that can be dangerous. That's not a good thing. One year after Elizabeth Kubler-Ross died in 2004, Um, a new book was actually published, and it was published by herself and David Kessler. 
Uh, this book actually remarked that the five stages are non-linear. Hmm, here we go, some change. So not everyone goes through all of them. Some don't even go through certain stages, some skip stages, some might go through stages multiple times. There is no prescribed order. It's funny to me because, you know, these five stages are not universal and new research is coming out and saying that everyone's grief experience is different and these, these stages should only be looked very, very lightly um, in the grieving process. It's funny that they're even conceived of as stages because you might skip out on one. I feel like I haven't really hit in, the, in my own life. I haven't really hit, I never really hit the bargaining stage and anger has only come up a few times for me. I've definitely been like in the acceptance stage, obviously for a long time, but I had acceptance like early, early on too, which was weird. Time to realize that grief takes countless forms and is experienced in so many limitless ways. And we can't just describe grief by a five stage model. There's no way. When we push this narrative as universal, we alienate those who don't apply to it. And that only causes more pain when we're already in a painful time. Going through grief myself and, and learning this and reading that book, I've learned that there is no right way to grieve. And there's also no wrong way to grieve. Um, if you're grieving and if you are grieving, I hope you know that you can take comfort in knowing that whatever you're feeling is is just fine. You know, I actually had a really great therapist who told me that as long as I'm not buying a Ferrari or doing opioids, I should be okay in my grief. <laughs> and I, I, he was being obviously sarcastic if you're doing one of those things like go for it. I mean, I can't afford a Ferrari, but you know, if I could, maybe I would have bought one. Um, anyways, he was joking. He was just saying that, you know, as long as you're not being dangerous or impulsive, like ridiculously impulsive, you're, you're fine. And so if you're not, you know, experiencing the depression or the anger, the acceptance or the bargaining that you should be, it doesn't matter because how you heal is so personal. And I hope no matter what you're going through, grief, breakups, um, friendship, breakups, death, I don't know, maybe you just slept in and you feel guilty about that. Emotions are meant to be felt. They're not meant necessarily to be discussed and, and broken down. Obviously, have a therapist, talk to your therapist about stuff like that. But through my own experience, I've just come to terms with the fact that um, you can feel a lot when you're grieving. You can feel a lot and feeling a lot is not, it's not a bad thing. I hope you found some of that educational because... I tried to be educational. I tried to give a little context, but I will catch you all up next week. Um, we'll dive into some more experiences on travel dancing. And I also want to do an episode on how to pull yourself out of a slump and actually do the work, get to work. As strippers, we know it can be hard to get to work, okay? But I had my own little slump here of even writing this podcast. So now we're going to talk about that next week. I hope you're all having an amazing day and I'll chat with you soon. Thank you.